there, fictional friends, and welcome to another episode of Fully Booked. I'm Megan. And I'm Shireen. And it is still paranormal, supernatural, whatever month you want to call <laughs> it, over here on the podcast. Um, so in keeping with our, I swear we're going to do this for the whole year now, in keeping with our tradition that we began in the month of January, we've got one shitty movie and one good movie every month. Oh yeah, I think so, that just should be the way. Now. I think that's the way we should just do it for the entire year. So mm. um, in January we talked about The Host, which was Stephanie Meyer's very vague attempt at sci-fi, and everybody all saw how that turned out. Uh, and then we talked about The Road by Cormac McCarthy, which in, um, <laughs> you know, in contrast was a much better film, mm. also based on a much better story. Story and Definitely. novel to begin with, but you know, still, nevertheless. Heavy. And I guess we decided to do the same thing uh, this month. So <laughs> if you listened a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Just Like Heaven, starring Reese Witherspoon and Mark Ruffalo, which, and if, which I hope that you were as surprised as I was that that was based on a book. <laughs> I'm so surprised. I'm, I find it so funny how surprised you are that it was based on a book. It's. It, uh, I never assumed that a mid 2000s rom com was based on a book. That's weird. I guess. Yeah. A French book, nonetheless. Yes, a French book as well. I mean, granted, and that's also kind of when you know that they must have made quite massive changes to the plot yeah. of the novel, but still. Anywho. Anyway. Um, this week, thank God, we decided to go <laughs> in a totally different direction. And uh, this week, we are talking about the 2019 film adaptation. Adaptation of Stephen King's Doctor Sleep. Listen to me. The world's a hungry place. A dark place. Hi there. I only met two or three people like us. They died. When I was a kid, I bumped into these things. magic. I, I always called it The Shining. Um, the novel was actually published initially in 2013, which is, ooh, 40-ish years after the publication of The Shining. If wow. you don't know, Dr. Sleep is a direct sequel to the novel The Shining, which I'm going to double check because it's going to bug me if I don't uh yeah the shining was published in 1977 and then yeah the 2013 kubrick movie came out uh, 1980 the stanley kubrick film came out right. so yes okay background context a little bit just to give people like an idea because not everybody's read or seen like read these books or seen these movies necessarily um uh, stephen king wrote uh, the Shining, obviously, back in the 70s um, when he was uh, pretty heavily into alcohol and drugs. And the and he had suffered, um, I believe, a lot of abuse when he was younger um, per his own father and his own family life. So The Shining, when he wrote the novel, was a way, to a certain extent, for him to put on paper all of the fears that he had around what he could potentially do to his own family. Mm. And that was, it was a lot of self-exploration that he used throughout the course of the novel. Um, and it's a much shorter book. Dr. Sleep is sort of him re-examining the entire world that he created throughout the course of that original story. You know, that's it about 40 years later. Um, under the uh, totally different lens of someone who is sober yeah. and looks at the world very differently and has experienced, you know, so much in that time span. And I and think the world has changed a lot. Too. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that really, um, it comes through in the difference in story because the shining itself is, it is a lot of like cycle. It's very psychological mm -hmm. and much more based in one's own fear about oneself. Um, and, Dr. Sleep is much more, a little bit more, uh, leans a little bit more heavily on like the lore itself of the idea of the shining, which is like these sort of telepathic powers, magic abilities of some sort that certain people possess in the yeah. world. And you know how each of them have kind of different abilities and their, the ways that they, uh, adapt to them and cope with them in a more modern society. So they're very different stories. Also, The Shining is like not a very long or difficult book to get through. Doctor Sleep is long. Doctor Sleep a, is a, a hefty, hefty novel, um, and mm -hmm. I do find that. <clears throat> 
I don't know if it's due to uh, a lot of King's like later stuff, like the things that he's been writing maybe since the mid-2000s. I find a lot of them are quite a bit longer. And part of me wonders if it has to do with sobriety to a certain extent. Like he's had more time to kind of like... Self-exploration. Self-exploration. Like there could be more of like a psych- psychological... Not psychological, but uh, you know what I mean? Um, sit psychology yeah like yeah, more yeah, yeah. psychology no, right. involved into into it i don't than, know yeah, yeah that's it like i'm not i'm not 100 percent sure it's an interesting i guess it's an interesting kind of thought <laughs> to ponder but um anyway nevertheless that's it this the novel is she's long like mm. it's a hefty brick to get through um i am engaged to someone who is uh, a pretty big stephen king fan he's read a lot of the stories i don't believe that he's finished Dr. Sleep because I think that especially after you've read The Shining they're very different types of stories so when he started getting into Dr. Sleep the exposition and the build is very lengthy at the beginning and I think he was like whoa I don't think I was like totally prepared for this and there's a lot more characters in Dr. Sleep there are many more characters many more characters that backstory uh, yeah and they're much more um important to the plot whereas like you know you've got like a few side people here and there that pop up in the shining but they're not really as important so anyway 1977 the novel was published in 1980 stanley kubrick very famous filmmaker very famously made the shining into an adaptation which stephen king very famously disliked he did not like the adaptation at all uh, because it leaned so much more into the horror and really didn't touch very much upon the psychological exploration of Um, addiction and trauma Mm. and what that does to Jack Torrance, who's, you know, the lead character in the Shining novel um, and sort of his own fears about what he's doing to his family. The movie didn't really do that very much. It's much more straight horror. Man moves... changed a lot. Yes, they did. Yeah. Man moves to very isolated... uh, takes a job as a caretaker over the winter season at a very isolated, um, very large hotel that's up in the mountains and it's completely secluded throughout mm. the winter months. Like it gets totally snowed in, you can't get in or out. He takes a job there as a caretaker. He's trying to be a writer. And he's also trying to stay sober because he's been struggling with alcohol addiction quite severely. Um, and the basically the hotel itself, the Overlook Hotel, um, in the novel is kind of it, it is it's kind of a metaphor for his addiction. Mm-hmm. And um, the character in the novel struggles much much more with what he is doing and how he himself is on a downward spiral. Whereas in the you don't really see that very much in the um, in the movie. It's much more about the scares themselves and sort of the unsettling atmosphere that's created throughout the course of the of the movie. It's also like you know when you watch it, like Jack Nicholson is like full. On, so Jack Nicholson plays plays Jack, Jack Torrance, Torrance in The Shining, yes, and he's just full on like acting very loopy the whole time. Yeah, you know? it's it's a lot, and, and so I, like obviously that feeds into like the horror aspect. But you know, knowing the context that it's supposed to be like a you know this man is supposed to be there trying to take care of his kids, yeah. his, fa- his child his family that really doesn't come through in that performance no and i believe that if i'm not mistaken basically what stephen king has said since then is something along the lines of like yes like it's an incredibly well-made film and it is it is there's um, a lot of the, iconic moments. yeah the the cinematography overall the performances i personally think jack Nicholson's a little over the top in this film, but whatever. Um, the performances, uh, Shelley Duvall doesn't get the credit that she deserves for playing Wendy Torrance. She does a really good job. Um, the uh, the score, the mm, whole, like, the, all of the visual aspects of it, like, it is. It's, her, like, a horrific film to watch, but because there's so much lacking um, in terms of that part of the development... I believe that Stephen King basically referred to it as a beautiful Cadillac with no engine. Mm. So it's great to look at, but what it, does it mean? Like, what is the underlying message? And there isn't really one, or mm. at least not as much of one as he had really written initially. So I think he was really disappointed with that. Um, so I know that when it came time to adapt Dr. Sleep... Obviously, it was going to be a really different type of film to begin with because the story is so very different from the story of The Shining, um, and it's so much more involved, and there's so much more to it. Like you said, there's so many more characters to mm-hmm. explore, all it kinds of... a very elaborate story. Very, very much, yeah. There's so much more to it. It really gave him... It was interesting because it really gave him, obviously, a chance to explore the idea of The Shining, of these yeah. people with these abilities, and perhaps 
some people who would use their abilities, not like not use their abilities at all, or people who use them in very different ways mm-hmm. from each other and kind of how that affects people throughout the course of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so when he did that, obviously when it came time to make the film, uh, the film was written and directed by Mike Flanagan, who um, is becoming uh, pretty pervasive in, in the whole book to film and yeah. screen adaptations. I mean, he's done several uh, adaptations for Netflix, Haunting of Hill House, Bly Manor, uh, Midnight Mass, which I don't think, which is not based on a book. But other than that, I think that's the only one. He did The Midnight Club and also um, more recently The Fall of the House of Usher. Um, uh, What's that other one there? Something game. Gerald's Game. Yes, Gerald's Game as well. Yes, you're right. That's true, which he also directed for Netflix, which is another Stephen King adaptation as well. Um, So he's done a whole bunch of them. He's also had films, obviously, including Dr. Sleep. I would say Dr. Sleep is probably his biggest theatrical release, but um, there's a film of his that he made with his wife called Hush from Mm -hmm. about six or seven years ago that I really enjoy. It's really solid, um, like, home invasion film uh he made another movie called before i wake like he's had absentia like he's had like a bunch he's been doing this for quite a while and so when it came time when he was basically given the task with the idea of like okay hey do you want to write the script for this and direct the film um i think it was he was like okay so i know that there's like the book and there's the movie mm-hmm. and you've got people who love one and people who love the other and some people who are okay with both yeah but how do i marry those two things together yeah because he was essentially making so the reason why we're giving so much context here is because it's really important for this movie yeah it is um and there's a large portion of this movie that is focused on you know after the events of the shining yeah. what happens to danny who is the main character um older version played by ewan mcgregor in doctor sleep but Mike Flanagan was basically faced with, because there were certain details that were changed in the Kubrick movie, Film, yeah. um, that then impacted Dr. Sleep yes. as like a book, he had to find a way of marrying the Kubrick and the King version That's of it. The Shining so that it could feed into Dr. Sleep, the yes. movie. Yeah, and it came through like really brilliantly. Yep. This is an incredibly well-made film. It, it's Fantastic. It's very, like, from, really from start to finish, uh, you know, the script, the casting, the visuals in this film are beautiful to the look at. The acting is The amazing. acting is, is wonderful. Everybody is excellent. And that includes characters or actors who had to step into the shoes of original characters mm. from the Stanley Kubrick film and from the original story, of course. Um, and portray these characters not as just a caricature portrayal of how the actor did it in the original film but kind of make them feel like a like a person as well in this new context of this new story that they're telling because there are quite a few flashbacks so uh right dr sleep currently has a rating of 7.3 out of 10 on imdb and 78 percent on rotten tomatoes that's not high enough no uh, the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes is 89%, yeah, which makes, makes a lot more sense to yeah. me. Um, so buckle up, everybody. This movie's long. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. It's two and a half hours long. Yep. Get cozy. Uh, and get there's, cozy. there's just like a lot in this there's movie, There's so much plot that it's difficult not to touch on a lot of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yes. The Doctor Sleep uh, takes place also about 40-odd years after the events of The Shining. It follows Dan Torrance, who's Jack Torrance's son, who is uh, very young, like six, five or six, I think, in the original um, story and him dealing with the aftermath of everything that happened in The Shining at the Overlook Hotel with his parents, how his father basically went crazy um, and sort of how he's dealt with that later. We do start with quite a few flashbacks um, with Danny and his mom, Wendy Torrance. After the events of the original story, they moved to Florida, the two of them together, to start over. And Danny was still, Danny has the shine, which is like this ability. And he had quite a bit of it. And he has quite a bit of it in The Shining, too. They just don't touch on it quite as much. But in the novel, um, Danny talks to someone named Tony, who is like this person that he sees when he looks in the mirror and stuff. Um, and they do this thing that I hate in the Stanley Kubrick movie where he stands in front of the mirror and he goes, red rum, red rum, like mm-hmm. with his finger. Yeah. And it's red rum is murder backwards, just so yeah. everybody knows what we're talking about. And it's a really famous, um, iconic word that you see in The Shining, like mm-hmm. often. Um, because it's mirrored, so mm-hmm. it's backwards. And so Tony keeps on like pointing this out to him. Tony is not... Tony is his shine. Basically, Tony isn't an actual person. He's some. He's basically like an older version of Danny who's trying to warn him about mm. everything that's going to happen 
at the overlook and it is everything that does happen. So, um, it's, yeah, that's it. So it's a little ways after Jack Torrance dies at the overlook. Um, and, uh, Wendy and Danny are living together. He's been basically, he hasn't spoken a word since they left the hotel and he's dealing with still seeing the ghosts from the hotel, the entities from the hotel that have, like, followed him out of there. And he learns when he's young, he's able to speak to um, Dick Halloran, who is a character from the novel and from the film, the first one, who uh, works at the Overlook Hotel, meets him, and also has a shine. Yeah. And he... Um, uh, so that's it. So they had to change this a little bit too. Uh, Dick is alive technically after the Shining novel, and at the beginning of the Doctor Sleep book, he is also alive. That character does not die. However, in Stanley Kubrick's film, he does die. He dies the minute he comes back to the Overlook to try and help Danny and Wendy, which is very annoying. By mm. the way, I don't like that. I remember being really annoyed with that when I watched the movie because I was like, "This character is important," and mm. they they kill him the minute he walks back in. Yeah, it's stupid. <laughs> Also, they kill the only person of color who's in the in the movie. But anyway, and he's, that character does not die in the book. So, so uh, the way that they changed things for uh, the Doctor Sleep film is that they just had Dick come back um, as a ghost, as a ghost, because. The Shining for everybody manifests differently. Yes, so but for most, Danny, he can see he can see ghosts, ghosts quite a lot, and a, a lot of them can. Yeah, um, but his I find his is like his ability very is very strongly towards that like sort of aspect of things of like seeing ghosts, seeing dead people a lot. Mm. Um, so, and Dick kind of you know gives him a bit of a pep talk and tells him like you're gonna have to find a way to compartmentalize this like to work through this and so his way to do that is that he does this thing in his mind where he's got like mind boxes Mm. and so every time one of the ghosts shows up to try to to do something to him he locks them away in one of these boxes and that's kind of like partially how he's coped and the other way that he copes as we see which when we move ahead by like 35 years is alcohol he drinks (laughs) so so much like his dad unfortunately yes so the whole beginning of the story really sees danny struggling with yeah it's rough yeah it's not great uh dan struggling with a lot of his um addiction issues he has a one-night stand with this woman um and wakes up the next morning and is like and then she seems to have taken some of his money so he like takes money out of her wallet sees that there is a toddler hungry yeah she meanwhile she's like lying in her own puke in the bed um i when i watched this i wasn't sure if that signified that she was dead i I don't think like an overdose i don't think you're supposed to know because he can't tell as far as i know like when he right i think he just thinks that she's passed out right and like also he could see ghosts right yes so like yeah so i like i took it when i when i first saw this i took it that she was dead right and which made the scene that much more horrible yeah you're like oh my god he's he's leaving leaving the toddler there who's hungry already and he's taking the money and stuff like I, I just thought it was horrible. Horrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, for sure. I get that. <laughs> um, so basically, he so he takes off. He, like, leaves the baby, even though Dick's ghost does appear. And he's like, you could at least leave the money yeah. there. But he's so deep into his own addiction and his own problems he that he's he's not paying attention to anything. He's not noticing anything, yeah. right? So he so we're getting, like, you know, his whole situation, his whole backstory. Um, and he does wind up going to um, a small town in New Hampshire. He winds up there and he meets this um, this guy uh, in the middle of town. They have this funny little, they have a miniature version of their town square that like really the kids that have was built. be like important No, somehow. it's just cute. It's <laughs> called Teeny Town and yeah. I thought it was funny. It's just funny. Um, where he meets this guy in town named Billy who's the best fucking friend anybody Nicest could ask guy for. ever. What a like, good person. Yeah. Obviously very clearly also sees as a former addict sees an addict and is like, I should, I should help this person. Mm. Like he seems like he needs help, helps him get room and board, um, brings him to an AA meeting when he's, you know, about to drink and he needs help with something and then helps him, um, start to work on his journey towards recovery and helps him get a job and everything. Like they kind of work through, uh, there is a, a cool scene because Danny tries not to use his shine very mm. often because he's, I feel weird calling him Danny when he's like a 45 year old man. Dan <laughs> tries to use his, uh, he tries not to use his shine and partially the alcohol is partially to dull 
the effects of it because he doesn't want to deal with it. Well, because it's always like there's always some after effect that he has to deal with. Either he has to lock the ghost in a box because they're haunting him or they're like trying to make him better and he doesn't want that And he's like, no, and it's like Dick and he's like, go away. I'm fine. Yeah. Um, Right, exactly. So uh, he goes to this AA meeting and he meets the the man who's like, he's a doctor and he works, I think, at one of the local like hospices or something um, who he speaks to you know and he's you know they like chat with each other a little bit i think that character is actually quite a bit bigger in the novel than he is in the movie you only see him in a couple of scenes in the film uh played by bruce greenwood who was also just in the fall of the house of usher he played roderick usher yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. um mike flanagan is very tim burton coded in that he's got his group of actors who follow him they do such a good everywhere but everybody's so fantastic that it doesn't matter it's good (laughs) it's fine like his wife is in a lot of his stuff kate siegel she's mm -hmm. in like a lot of his different um, shows and everything and he's there's like a whole group of people even some of the people who have really small parts in this film are in other stuff yep. of his are in like the haunting of hill house and they have much bigger roles and they have those. bigger roles I, I noticed when on this watch of this because it's only the second time i've watched the movie i noticed on this watch of this one of the people who you see who's one of the other members of this group called the true knot who are also a bunch of people who have the shine but they're like the the bad guys. The, the villain characters, yeah. basically. She, I saw this girl, she has, like, no lines. You barely see her. She's one of the female um, characters that are part of that group. I was like, oh, I was like, she looks familiar. And then I realized that she was just in The Fall of the House of Usher, and she played um, Roderick's wife when he's younger. Mm-hmm. And I was yeah. like, oh, shit, yeah, that's yeah. that person. Mm-hmm. You know, that's it. They, they all, like, all of them pop up over and over and over mm-hmm. again. Uh, one of the guys in it, the, like, bigger, like, burly guy was in The Fall of the House of Usher as the caretaker, and he was also in Midnight Mass as the drunk guy in town who accidentally shot that girl, like, right. years ago. Like, all of them, like, they all come back in a bunch of other Stuff. There's something very cozy about like I working know. that way, <laughs> and like, it also I like to Tim think that Burton it, does it yeah. so well, you know. And like now it's like we've got this like kind of newer like like version group. of that. Yeah, version. I, I, I like to think to an extent it really speaks a lot to like how comfortable his sets are, and yeah. that people really like to work with him. What a good director! He yeah, is. that's yeah. it exactly. And like, he creates like a good atmosphere for like a working space for people where they feel safe and they want to go back and work with him over and over totally. again. So that seems nice. So. Anyway, he meets this doctor, um, and he <laughs> he doesn't want to use his shine, but I think, again, he's sobering up slowly but surely, and so it, it manifests itself anyway. So he goes up to the doctor, and he's like, uh, because the guy's rubbing his wrist like he's thinking about something, and mm-hmm. he turns to leave, and um, Dan, Dan walks over to him, and he's like, Doc, which is funny because everybody calls Dan Doc. His mom's been calling him that since he was a kid. His parents called him that and the shining as well. Um, and he's like, your, your watch, like you're thinking about your watch. You were at the hospital, you were doing this. You were thinking about the kid with whatever disease that he can't, he can't pronounce the name properly. You washed your hands and you left it on top of the, um, soap dispenser. And the doctor's like, what the fuck? Yeah. (laughs) So they meet afterward, um, in a scene that very much mimics a scene at the beginning of the shining in an office at the hospital, I think. Oh yes. And that's Mm -hmm. how Dan gets his job working. Um, and I don't think it's in, I think it's an old palliative care. Palliative. It might be palliative care or in a hospice of some sort. Because it is with the elderly. Yes. And they have a cat, which you see that a lot in palliative care as Mm -hmm. well. A lot of old and old folks homes, like retirement complexes, things like that a lot of them have animals particularly like cats yeah um because they they keep the residence company and it's like a nice thing so there yeah. is so he works there as like a, a janitor overnight like mm-hmm. he does uh cleaning and stuff and you know gets like a steady job there and keeps sober and he starts to slowly but surely i think accept and use his shine a little bit more so there's a cat um the cat in, in the palliative care unit named asriel which That's is right. also named after like the angel of death was right. asriel right so who um, seems to have a an interesting sixth sense of sorts where he always knows when one of the residents is uh, going to pass away, basically. Like, he always seems to be aware. He goes into their room, and he will climb onto the bed and lie with them. And there's a conversation. Uh, Dan follows him into a man's room one night, and the man's like, oh, the, the cat's here. I guess it's my time to, mm. to go. And he's like, oh, no, I'm sure it's fine. He's like, no, no, it's it's like an urban legend that yeah. they have in the unit that um, Azzy always knows when someone's gonna, gonna go. going to go when it's their time. And he uses his... 
so Dan to comfort the man because he's a little bit nervous and that's totally understandable. Yeah. I can't even imagine. Um, he uses his shine to speak to him mm. um, telepathically and just tell him it's good. It's it's fine. You won't feel anything. Mm. It's just like going to sleep. Yeah. And so the man says, "That's you're like a doctor." He's like, "Oh no, I'm not a doctor." He's like, "Yeah, you are a doctor sleep," and that's where the so name start calling of him the book comes from. The board. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then it kind of fast forwards, doesn't At it? Like eight years. Eight we, years. We pop forward from, because yeah. I think it was 2011, we pop forward to 2019. So That's the right. year that the film takes place in, really. And like during all this time, like Dan is doing a lot better. Like he's yeah. kept his job. He's kept sober. Yeah. His best friend ever, Billy, is still oh, in his best life. Best friend ever. Best friend ever. And you'll know why we're saying that. Um, yeah. And so then he, then it gets to the point of like when the, like actual action starts. Yeah. So, okay. So I want wanted to kind of like give like a through line of what Dan's been dealing with, mm. but there are other things interspersed with it. One of the things that happens is that f- five or six years prior, he telepathically is contacted by a little girl named Abra Stone, Abra, um, mm. who at the time she's like six, I think mm. at the beginning. And she, they live in the same state. And I think that she can sense him because he's got this, he stays in like a little boarding house. He lives in like an apartment and there's a, a blackboard wall. Mm. He walks in one day after a shift, and she's just written "hello" mm-hmm. on the blackboard with a little smiley face. Yeah, and he's like, "And I love that there's no overreaction at all." He's like, "Oh, okay, there's uh, another one around here." Uh, and so he else. writes, so he writes "hello" back, and they seem to pen pal it for a yeah, while. Yeah, like they become like friends. It's like there's really like cute. an understanding that they become friends, and there's like like a scene where um, Abra is at her birthday party, yeah. um, like just to show you how strong her shine she's, is. She's ridiculous. Um, there's a magician who's there or a clown or something who puts a spoon on his it's nose. It's a magician, yeah. And she keeps going, I can do that. I can do, I can that. do that. And he's like, that's nice, honey. And yeah. then later her parents come into the kitchen and she's taken all of the cutlery out of the drawers and all the forks and knives are on the floor, but the spoons are all stuck to the ceiling. Yeah. And she's all proud of herself because she's like, see, I can do it. Yeah. But then they, they don't react with they're like, because yeah. they don't know how to react. And she's like, oh. And you see her, and she they all sad, fall. And then she drops yeah. all of them. And when she does that, it's when, this is back when Dan is still like an alcoholic at that time and traveling. Um, the strength of what she does is so strong that it jolts him awake where he's asleep on a bus yeah. randomly. And uh, the other character who is like our main villain, who I haven't mentioned yet, Rose the Hat, yeah. she feels it as well. So She's awesome. Yeah. So this group... <laughs> Um, of villains basically in this film. They're called the True Knot. And the way that the True Knot functions is that they all have a different kind of shine mm-hmm. and they can all do different things with it. But what they choose to do is instead of just, you know, living together, living their lives just one life over and functioning properly, they seek out people with shine, they kill them, and they eat the shine basically like they inhale like it looks like steam they call it steam they call it steam they inhale it they consume it and in doing so that keeps them young for a long time because they're like energy vampires basically they're absorbing it very much reminded me of the witches from um uh stardust who have to like kill a star and like eat a star like and so these um now you put the term energy vampire in my head. Now this group of people yeah. in Doctor Sleep, they have, you see them, they like collect steam. Exactly. And they put them in canisters and they keep them aside. They and that's them. what keeps them powerful. But it they sustains have to keep, them. But they need to keep finding Keep it. doing that. And I, I believe, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like chances are the the more they, like the longer they live, the more they probably have to do this or mm. get stronger esteem from people with a really big amount of shine in order for it to sustain them for like a long period mm. of time. Um, so uh, we that's it. We've jumped forward eight years. Dan is still sober. He's working. Things are going like very well and steadily for him, which is nice. Uh, Abra is a young teenager now. She's probably like 13 mm. or something, 13, 14. Uh, she's played by Kylie Kieran, who is also now becoming a Mike Flanagan regular. She was just in the fall of the House of Usher as his granddaughter there, Annabelle Lee. Yep. And um, these two are having like a pen pal relationship. A pen pal relationship. It's so funny. Um, and at the same time, we've jumped forward eight years and the True Knot are not doing very well. Mm. So Rose is basically, she's the most powerful of all of them and she's kind of like the leader. Yeah. Um, she psychically like will seek out people with steam and then her 
lover, whatever you want to call him, Crow Daddy. Crow there. Daddy. Yeah, Crow Daddy. <laughs> Love yeah, that. I know. Uh, they're like a bunch of like bohemian hippies. I really like their boho chic thing that they have going know, but on. But they're also evil. Like you're but like also mm, horrible. Yeah. It's just that visually you're like, these look like a cool group of people. <laughs> if you want yeah. murdering people, that would be cool. You might be okay. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> um, so she'll kind of, I think she gets inklings of where people are and Crow Daddy is like this incredible tracker and he will follow him. He's played by a First Nations person as well, which might be part of that for because I believe that the characters. First Nations as well. He could, I don't know. I don't know. Um, Who will, so he will track the person down. That's like part of his ability, I think, is that he will track that person wherever they will go, um, find this person, and use different abilities that each of them have in order to uh, kill the person and take their shine, like steal their steam, basically. So um, they use one of the girls who they pick up early in the story, they call her Snakebite Andy. She's this younger girl. I think she's supposed to be 15. And she, uh, her ability basically is that she's like a pusher. So she, if she says something to you, like turn around and walk away from me, like people are compelled to do exactly what she says. I think she, yeah. Like, doesn't she say you want to? Yes. Like you want to walk yeah, away from You want to let me you go. You want to let me go. Yeah, you exactly. You want to go to sleep now. Yeah. You want to sleep. You want to do yeah. this. Yes, exactly. So she pushes people into doing things, um, from like a psychological standpoint, I guess, like mm-hmm. mentally, it's interesting. Um, and technically at the beginning of the story she's I, I don't think she's doing anything all that terrible she's using it to uh catch perverts and point out to everybody that they're disgusting <laughs> it's true basically because yeah. <laughs> she meets with like this middle-aged man at a movie theater um because he's trying to fuck her Ugh, yeah. and she's like don't you want to watch the movie but he doesn't and so basically she knocks them out um she takes his wallet because she probably needs money yeah steals his wallet and then um her signature is that she carves something that looks like a snake bite into their face because she's like, you're not going to be able to explain this to anyone. You'll be able to explain the wallet and everything yeah. else. But when people want to know what that is and where that yeah. came from, there it's you're going to... And oh yeah, her other thing too is that she says to him is, um, every time you look in the mirror, you're going to say, I like little girls. Mm. So... Rose is fascinated by the idea of having someone like that on her team. So they bring her on board and I believe in order to indoctrinate them to begin with and get them, um, it's almost like they're getting them addicted to the steam so that they continue to function this way. They they kind of have to like change their body composition or something. Yeah, they call it like the turning or whatever. And they, you, you inhale the steam because it's not something that someone would regularly do. And alive. But it kind of kills your body to an extent. It's very strange, the process of it is very odd um because that's why she's like you know after it happens andy passes out wakes up the next day and is like am i human and rose all rose says is do you care yeah and i'm like oh that's fucked up that would freak me out rose keeps saying eat well live long yes yeah yeah she means eat well with the steam like i think that's kind of her signature to the the group like if you like living this way then you have to help me and i think it's how she keeps them too because she gets them into it and then it's like well you're stuck you have no choice what else are you gonna do exactly and we see that when the this period of time has passed and they've had a ton of trouble finding more people with shine Mm. like they really they're having trouble tracking down more food and eventually if they don't, they're not actually immortal. If they don't find more food or more people to consume, um, they die, which yeah. is normal. It's everybody. You starve to mm. death. Eventually, you will you will die of starvation. It's just that their version looks different than a regular person's would. So I wonder if there's less and less, and maybe it's in the book. I haven't read the mm-hmm. book or anything, but I wonder if there's less people with shine because they're hunting them, right? So it's like a... Well, that's part of it, too. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy, isn't response. it? Yeah. Well, that's it. I remember I was watching the movie the other day, and I'm, I'm sitting there with my fiancé. Like, we've both seen it, obviously, and everything, but we're sitting there, and he's like... This is so stupid. He was like, like, there's so many stories like this where like this, like this one person or group of people have this idea to do this. And he's like, like vampires do stuff like that all the time. But it's like, eventually, once you kill everyone, what are you going to do? There's nothing left. Like you're like, and because they've been around for so long, like one of the characters in this group, they say that he was around like during like gladiators and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, in so, Rome and people yeah. were afraid of him. And I'm so, like, holy so if shit. So like, if there's like 
10 or 15 of you in a group and you're like and you wind up being out. thousands of years old yeah and you're thousands of years old and you're seeking out anybody yeah. who shine then you're gonna kill out the population because evolution's gonna be like well that's not a good I thing i mean my thing is always eventually i'm like you know eventually these guys are gonna start killing each other at yeah, some point eh? totally. like it doesn't wind up happening but i feel like you could have been headed in that direction totally. anyway so uh because of this that's it what we do see happens is um this basically their death which is they call it cycling um if i'm not mistaken like in the story it's called cycling and it looks horrible and the older that's it the older guy they call him grandpa flick that's it yeah he dies um because again that's it like he basically died essentially he dies of starvation um uh, and he they go through that's it it's this process where basically like they like they cycle in and yeah and then they they turn into steam and then people eat them like it's a whole like it's like you die and then your group cannibalizes you well, it's like, fucked up yeah and it's interesting like the visual that they have in the movie because it's like you know they're they're having like this moment like this bedside everyone's moment, crying and they're all like crying, he's, dying. he's dying and then like he kind of he dies and then he starts to you know turn into steam and the and second they're all it like, happened they're all just vultures whoosh. just yeah. like they're like I need it. So they go and they pick up that yeah. last little bit kind of thing. It's weird, but you're right. It's yeah. true. It's a very, it's very, it's like animals. Yeah. Basically. Totally. They're essentially like animals where it's like, oh, this member of our pride has died. Okay. Well, I guess we got to eat him because we uh, we're in the not. savannah yeah. and we can't find any more food. So I guess we just have to eat each other now. Yeah. Like that's basically what it is. Um, so, so because of this, obviously Rose is on the search for someone with so much shine that they like, they will be able to sustain themselves for years mm. after this, but still eventually it will run out. It's stupid. Well, I guess her thought is like, if it sustains us for years, then that gives us a lot more of time, time to, find, to find someone I know. else. Yeah. I know, and I mean, like, I know, like, pro- they do find like a f- like a few people. They do, in yeah. This movie, they do. Yeah. There is a really like horrible. A sequence in the film where they find uh, this little boy played by Jacob Tremblay oh, from so Room and everything, and we've talked about him before. He's wonderful. He's great. Um, yeah. uh, who's in like Iowa, I think, because this mm. one's this one isn't in one location. This is all over the states, yeah. all kinds of different areas. Um, they find this little boy who is at a, a baseball game, like a Pee Wee baseball game, and you do hear there's two people speaking on the stands. One of them, I forget which one of the two men who's having a conversation, one of them is played by Danny Torrance from the original Shining movie in 1980, mm-hmm. which is fun. Um, they're having a conversation about how this kid is so gifted at baseball because it's like he always knows where the ball's gonna go mm. when it's thrown and he never misses yeah. a hit. And you're like, okay, so he does have like an ability of yeah. some sort. He just doesn't realize it himself. He not even know that's the thing is that like that's what you have to understand too is that the story postulates that every person everywhere has a little bit of steam in them you see it when the elderly people die in the hospice yeah um you see there's a little bit that's expelled when they die because everyone has a little bit and that's like the universe that the story exists in but some people have it just much more than others do and it manifests itself in different ways and i'm sure that that is the case and a lot of people who have it maybe just in a small to medium way, don't know. Like he might not even realize that he always can hear from whoever the pitcher is that they're going to throw the ball here and like whatever kind of like throw that they're going to, I don't know, baseball. It's a talent of his. Yeah, exactly. That's it. So, and so everyone's just like, wow, he's just so good. He's going to probably go to major league baseball. Um, So we see him play a game. Crow daddies found him and the rest of them follow shortly after they kidnap him. Um, and apparently this, there's more steam that comes out if this person's tortured while they're dying, which is really terrible. Oh, that's awful. Yeah, yeah there's so like this really horrible scene where they like tie him up and they like stab him a lot and stuff. It's really, you don't see it, like, see it, but if the implication is there, you get it. Like, it's not pleasant. Yeah, like it's, it's lengthy. Yeah. Yeah. And Jacob Tremblay is, uh, such a good actor that he just does such a good job of this. Like you believe yeah. it when it's happening. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we do see that happen. And when that's happening again, because Abra has such strong abilities she's a bazillion miles away Mm -hmm. um in new hampshire and she wakes up at night because she can feel that it's happening and she has such a strong reaction of course because of course she's feeling it as though it's Mm -hmm. happening to her basically and she's like no stop 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 Mm -hmm. she doesn't like it and she like has a conniption in bed pretty much uh, in the middle of the night and when she screams rose hears it 
from all the way out where she is, where they've done this to this kid. And she (laughs) blows the word red rum or murder into the blackboard wall at Dan's place. Like he falls out of bed because it's like this giant psychic shock that Mm. he gets where he falls out of bed and he looks and he sees it in the mirror. So it says red rum and then he turns around and it says murder Murder. with the backwards R as well, which is a thing from the shining. Right. Cause it's, it's Danny writing murder. But he's young, so he's like five years old, so he writes it backwards. Anyway, it's fine. Um, Right, so because of this, they start to get the, I mean, they decide to, like, okay, she goes looking for Dan, even though they've never physically met, and they meet up with each other. Abra. Abra, yeah. So, like, Abra is, like, the good one. Like, she, she has a very strong shine, but she also believes that she must do the right thing. Yes. And help people and like so she she has this whole like you know experience and then she goes and tries to figure out who this kid is mm-hmm. like what happened yeah because he's because she writes murder on the chalkboard yeah and she busts it into the chalkboard and he's like who and she writes baseball boy baseball under this but she doesn't, know, she his doesn't know, she doesn't know his name so she's trying to find out who he is and stuff um and then you know she's basically she shows up for dan because she's like we have to do something like to help and, and stop this. you know he's managed to put a lot of his whole past trauma behind him to an extent and overall make like a good decent life for himself here um but i still think that he's repressing a lot of stuff so he doesn't want to at first he's like no like i can't you know but he's also like you know based on everything that we've said his character is not one that necessarily wants to help you know he he is so like disturbed himself from like his past traumas and stuff that it's like everything that he does like you know his job his life that is just about as much as he can handle. As he can handle, yes, exactly. Because anything other than that might, like, start, like, messing with his, like, boxes and his ghosts yeah. and, like, all this. So he's kind of always hanging by a very thin thread. Yeah, we're, yeah. we're one second from tipping over the edge yeah. of the cliff. Um, so, of course, he's hesitant, but she, she, wins, she wins him over eventually. And she's like, if you could get to, I can direct you there. And if you can get to where he was, if you can find him, then at least his parents can bury him. Yeah. Like, at least something. And she says the baseball mitt that he had, one of the true knot, uh, one of the guys was fiddling around with it and he had it on. So she's like, if, if you can get me that, I can figure out where they are. Yeah. And we can stop them from doing what they're doing because they're just killing people like us. Right. Um, Dan, again, Dan at first is like, no, no. <laughs> no. Uh, but eventually he's like, oh, fuck fine. Cause he's also, again, he also is one that gets won over with the idea of like doing the right thing yeah. where like he doesn't want to, but it's kind of ingrained in there of like, no, I do have to do this yeah. and I do have to push against everything that I grew up with, you mm-hmm. know? So, uh, he recruits Billy in the middle of the night and is like, I know it's going to sound insane. I need you to trust me. This is what we're going to go do. And Billy's the best fucking friend in the world. (laughs) And he's like, all right, sure. So they go and drive off from New Hampshire to Iowa, which must be a long drive. Um, Arrive at the place that she saw where the boy was killed. Um, and uh, are able to, based on her instructions, are able to dig up the body. And so then Billy's fully on board at that point because he's, okay, what the fuck? Like, there's no way that you would know this. Like, it's not possible. So, yeah, so he's fully on board at that point. Um, They then decide to formulate a plan. They go to visit... Abra, who has kind of explained certain things about this to her dad, sort of, but she hasn't really told him everything. So, of course, when Dan first gets there, he tries to beat the shit out of him because he's like, you're a big, gross pervert. <laughs> like, you're like a <laughs> grown-ass like, man, and she's 13. Yeah. Um, but then she, again, she uses her abilities to show her dad yeah. um, flashes of what's gone on kind of thing because he's like, because, you know, he's like trying to beat Dan up, and Dan's like, I thought you to- I thought you showed him. And she's <laughs> yeah. like, I told him. And he's like, that's not the same thing. <laughs> so once she does show him uh he goes to get a stiff drink which i don't blame him mm. for at all because she essentially just showed him like an 11 year old boy being murdered yeah. so also <laughs> she showed him psychic yeah. flashes to do this <laughs> so that in itself requires a yeah drink. <laughs> so they come up with a plan um they where she uses basically like an astral projection of herself and they lure the true knot out into uh, the woods basically because Rose has been ever since Rose felt her she's been looking for her because mm-hmm. she's like this person has so much steam mm-hmm. that we will be sustained for decades basically mm-hmm. um, so she wants to kill her and I love that there's this thing where Crow Daddy's like well do we do we 
kill her or do we turn her? Mm-hmm. And of course, Rose does not want that kind of competition. No. So she's like, oh no, no, we're going to kill her. We need the steam from her. And you're like, yeah. no, okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, so they've been kind of mentally volleying back and forth where like Abra's been jumping into her mind to try to find her. She's yeah. been doing the same thing to get to Abra. They've been basically engaging in like some sort of magical psychological battle with one another. It's pretty cool. Like a telepathic battle. It. The yeah. visuals are fucking yeah. stunning. Awesome. Anyway, yeah. they look very cool. Um, Rose gets injured in this. Yeah, <laughs> she's a... Injures her pride Like a hand anything. degloving. Yeah. It's gross. Um, yeah. Mike Flanagan really likes to mangle hands. <laughs> that one in Gerald's game is not pleasant at all. It's gross. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> they've been doing this, and because of this, they kind of each knows where the other one is. Mm-hmm. So they lure the true knot minus Rose. She's like staying back. Um, they lure the true knot out to a kind of secluded area in the woods. And when they arrive, they try to take her, but she's not actually there. She's actually protected herself. She's in her kitchen at home. Mm. Um, and, uh, then there's basically a gunfight that breaks out. Um, cause Dan and Billy, um, you know, start shooting at them. Fire is returned. There's a lot of back and forth. Uh, pretty much every member of the true knot save Rose basically and crow daddy are killed. Um, and except when we get to write the last one, Andy is the last one to go. The snake bite girl. Yeah. And she, um, is shot a couple of times when she's about to kill Dan. Billy shoots her, but right before she dies, she's able to do one last push and she tells Billy, kill yourself. And he does immediately. He shoots himself in the head, which sucks so much. I felt really bad. Yeah. Um, character. And unfortunately also then we're seeing the astral projection of Abra is like, where's the crow daddy? He's not here. And then she gets all the way back at home. She gets a prick in the neck because he knew what was going on mm-hmm. and he followed and made sure that she was at home so he takes her from home he's killed her dad which is also, fucked up the fact that he knew basically what was going on let her kill everybody I know. in their group and i know you can only assume that this was like a discussion between him and rose the hat because he doesn't oh do they didn't talk to the others about this without rose no. but like they decided it together mm-hmm. which is why rose wasn't there in the first place yeah and like, and you're like, wow, so you let that whole group that die. Like seven or eight people. And you're like, I guess you've decided that just getting this one girl is, is that much more important. Yeah, I know. That's it. Because it's interesting, too, because they're all very connected to each other because mm-hmm. Rose has like quite the reaction when they're killed. Like she's really, it hurts her physically yeah. when they're killed. And I think it's because they're all connected by the things that they're doing and how they're like sharing the steam and everything so i think she feels it when it Mm. happens but yeah crow daddy abducts abra murders her father thank god her mom is away we've seen we saw there was a scene earlier where she was leaving because um her grandmother's sick so she went to another state to visit her yeah so luckily she still has one parent because i was like wow okay Mm -hmm. uh so she so he takes off with her uh dan decides to fully embrace his shine again, basically, and is able to, that's it, project himself into the car that she's in, and then she allows him, like, into her body. Right. Basically, again, like, the all the rules around the shining are very vague, because I think for plot purposes, it's just whatever is easiest for us. I mean, it's good to advance the plot. Yeah, that's it. So he does that, and then um, in... Yeah, for in using both of them that way he's able to crash the car crow daddy is killed when he does that and then he and abra dan and abra meet back up and they're like rose is going to keep coming because now she's going to be fucking pissed Mm. um and so we need to take her somewhere where there will be something else to stop her and so his solution is to go back to the overlook hotel because all of the entities that exist there are something that well he's like presumably if they'll go after us they will go after her as well yep because she's also very strong. So that's exactly what they do. They drive up there. She follows them. He, quote unquote, wakes the hotel back up. Because simply him mm. walking in, the power turns back on. Which is, <laughs> is the hotel a ghost? <laughs> yes, it, it, kind of it is. It's like the hotel in and of itself. Be. And the whole thing is its own metaphor for like darkness and trauma and addiction. Well, and, it's like, you know, he's haunted by yeah. this hotel, right? And his own so past, it's like, yeah. The hotel itself has a life force. And so him going back, it's reactive to him yep, yeah exactly um this is definitely the this latter third of the film is probably where you see the most that it's a shining sequel because really until then it's almost like it's its own separate thing aside from at the beginning where you see kind of like yeah like the flashbacks yeah, and the stuff flashbacks, yes yeah. agreed for sure and then the whole other bit yeah, it's you're like, like a whole other movie and, and then, then like you come hey, back remember when we were a shining sequel we're yeah. gonna do that again and you're like oh right yeah. <laughs> all right yeah that's what this is about yeah yeah um so uh they go back into the hotel rose arrives and 
and um, initially like outmatches Dan at least to an extent. Uh, but then he opens all of his mind boxes and lets out all of those overlooked ghosts that she's just like, "What are you going to do?" It. He's like, "Nope." And she's like, "What the hell is in your head?" Because she goes in yeah. there, and he's like, "And he's like, yeah, they're they're in here and they're starving." Yeah. So uh, that's how her character is killed because all of the ghosts show up and they all basically consume her mm-hmm. together. Um, and when they start going back after Dan, they don't consume him, but they do possess him for a period of time. So you get a lot of, again, shining references, him hobbling around with an axe trying to kill Abra. Very reminiscent. Jack Torrance does that in the original film, hobbling after Danny. Mm. So it's very much like along the same lines. Uh, He's able to get rid of them and fight it off for a period of time. But he's also like, I need to get rid of this hotel once and for all. Like, I need to end this. So he sends her outside and he goes to the boiler room. Um, and basically sets the entire place on fire. Um, mm-hmm. But he he doesn't leave in mm-hmm. the end, which I think is he. I think he had accepted that by the time he left to go to the boiler room. I think he knew he was like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, not coming, le- out I'm of not this. leaving. Because yeah. also like the ghosts may follow him and stuff. And I think he was like, no, I'm I'm not leaving. I think he was just tired. Also, as well. yeah, like he he kind of held these ghosts in his mind for so long, and it took up so much of his energy yeah. to do that that once he like let them out to kill Rose. It's like, how would he get them back? Yeah. You know, that's it. No, it it's would just, be, and I think he's just tired. It would be too much of an undertaking. Exactly. Yeah. So yes. Yeah, so he does, um, he does die with the hotel. Then we skip forward to a little while later. Abra is back at home. Um, she's speaking to Dan as a ghost. Yes, that's right. You know, and he, you know, sort of goes back to his initial conversations with her when he, at the time, told her like not to use her shine that she should dampen it that she should keep it uh, close to the chest and yeah. hidden so that no one would come after her and she wouldn't be in danger but he's like I was I was wrong to think that yes there might be other people in the world we don't know but I think that you should keep shining I think mm. that you should keep using your abilities the way that you have been using them mm-hmm. um and so she has like a nice moment with her mom at the end where she tells her that like you know she's like I was you know because at first her mom comes into a room and she's like who are you talking to and she's like no one mm. but then she follows her into the kitchen she's like no sorry that's not true I was talking to Dan mm. um she said he's fine and then she says daddy's fine mm. too which yeah. I thought was nice and she has like a they have like a little like denouement kind of moment sort of, which I could have been corny, but I feel like it's well-written enough that you're like, mm-hmm. yeah, you yeah. know, like that's nice kind of thing. And that's kind of how they like wrap up the entire film. Yeah. Um, it's so good. I don't, there are so many like little things like we've, we've been talking for a while, but there are so many little uh, things here and there, like little moments of dialogue, uh, yeah. character reactions to things, like all these little things, whether it's the script, whether it's performances, whether the it's score. the score, the visual aspect of things. Yeah. It's like really, it's really just like a really solid, really great film to watch. Yeah. Um, Definitely worth a watch. Yeah, that's it. Everyone does a fantastic job. I didn't even mention that uh, Rose the Hat is played by Rebecca Ferguson. Yeah. Um, she's fucking fantastic. I think everybody's getting a pretty good idea of that now because like she was just in like the more recent Mission Impossible movie she was in Silo last year which got like a lot of attention on Apple TV and is still happening so she's, she's having like a lot of stuff, she has though. but I feel like she's having a really good moment these last couple of years mm-hmm. so hopefully that'll continue because she's um, very talented so it's nice to see you know all of that I loved the little girl who played Abra Kylie Curran is really good yes. um, you know Ewan McGregor is one of those actors that I find is really underrated he's in so much stuff but no one ever talks about him. And it's weird. I know. It's like, he's kind of like, almost. I don't want to say taken for granted, but it's like he's one of of those actors who's like, you know, you see him in so many things and he does such a phenomenal job yeah. in anything that he's in. Yeah. And he, he's got this like comforting presence he does. about him. And there's something, Ewan McGregor has one of the nicest smiles I've ever seen in my Lovely. entire life. And really. like genuine smiles. Really. And like, yeah, like I say, just very like comforting and stuff. Um, and I just think he's just like taken advantage of or just like I don't know like glossed glossed over people forget about him and I just don't know what that why that is I don't don't know what that's about yeah me neither I don't get it but um but no it's a really great film I am very grateful that we're kind of in this time where Mike Flanagan gets to adapt every piece of literature that he wants to um and I hope that he keeps doing that (laughs) for a very long time his original films are also very good but his adaptations are great yeah um and I'm really excited to kind of see see like how all of that develops you know in the next like decade who knows what else they'll be able to do right so 
Yeah. So have you guys seen Dr. Sleep? Have you read the book? Um, my understanding is it's a, until the latter third, it's a pretty faithful adaptation. So I'd be curious to hear like what people's takes are. Do you prefer certain things about the book, about the movie, whatever it is? Um, you can let us know about that over on Instagram threads and TikTok at fullybookedca. And you can also hit up our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash book was way better. We've been talking for a really long time. So <laughs> until next week, guys, keep on reading. Thanks everyone. Thanks everyone.